This is Tell Your Story with Alianka Larianov, and today I'm speaking with Ali Love. For those of you who have been around since episode one, you'll see that the title has changed. It's always been about telling stories, and that's the pillar on which UF stands on. So it only made sense that the podcast then should be called Tell Your Story with me, since I'm the host. The important thing for me to tell you is that the first five episodes that you listen to, and actually this conversation as well that I'm going to share with you with Ali Love, I recorded them while I was in the midst of my recovery process, still dizzy, still feeling raw, vulnerable, unsure, low self-esteem, and ill, really, my body and my brain were still ill. So when I released those episodes, I did not feel that they were the best of the best. But that's not the point of this platform. The point of this platform is to champion flaws. And one of my flaws is that I am a perfectionist. Of course, there are some positive things to it as well, but the negative outweighs the positive and that oftentimes I won't do anything unless it's perfect. So I, I released that, what you've already heard. The conversation with Ali was recorded a couple months ago, so yes, still in the midst of my recovery. What you're hearing today, this voice of mine now, that's very strange to say, but this voice of mine now is current. This is recorded two days prior to the Monday launch, so I'm feeling better, but I just wanted to let you guys know, and this is again my perfection side of me speaking. So let's get to the good stuff. As you know, if you don't want to hear the introduction, skip over to the next time you hear the intro music, and then we'll get right into the conversation that I had with Ali Love. But if you want to know about Ali Love, then stick around because here's what you need to know. I actually asked Ali what she wanted me to title her as, and she wrote back and said, founder of Love Squad and Brooklyn Nets host. But of course, as it is with most women and people that I interview and I talk to, and, and really people in general, we're so much more than our titles. Allie's life is so interesting in that at the age of nine, she was hit by a car and broke her femur, and she almost died. She faced a life or death situation at the age of nine, and instead of being comforted in the way that we would assume a mother to comfort her, her mom basically said, you have a choice. You can either live or you can die. And I don't know if it was that particular situation or is the kind of woman that Allie is, but she chose to live and lives each day to the fullest. I tell her towards the end of the interview that if there's a slogan for her, it's that she loves to live. It's something that I'm personally striving for and having a very difficult time of achieving. So this conversation was so, so important for me to have and to learn from her. What I find particularly interesting is that perspective is such a humongous tool for us. And we start off this dialogue between a moment that the two of us shared. And as you'll see, one side of it is completely different than the other side of it. And it's just these two kind of powerful, strong women who are sizing each other up, wanting to be communicative and connect. And yet there was this disconnect and it's something that I'm working on so much in connecting women and people in general. 
Allie's career trajectory is quite fascinating in that she started as a dancer. I want to say that she's more than that. She's a performer. And now she's kind of paved her way into the space of growing her own business and helping to champion other women, support other women, support women who are building their own businesses, who are entrepreneurs, which will eventually get to a place of helping all kinds of people. And to me, that is the biggest tool that she has is that she doesn't do it waiting for something in return. She does it out of love. So it just makes sense that her name is Ali Love. There's so much to learn in this conversation. I think for someone like me and for a lot of people who go through traumatic events, oftentimes we can find ourselves in a place of asking why, 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 why did this happen to me? Ali has amazing tips and tools to find the positive in the negative, to find a way to snap yourself out of that negative space and to bring you back to the positive. And what she says too is that of course she has negative days as well. There's a lot more to this. There's body image, competing with women, living in New York City, building your own business. And this really in particular, this quote, Ali says, how I handle myself is how I'm going to be treated. That particular moment is huge because it's something that I've been waiting to talk to about with her for so long. So there's a lot. If you want the show notes, go on to the Untitled Female website, click on the podcast tab, find Ali's page, and you'll see a whole cheat sheet that I've provided for you. But otherwise, I just, let's just, let's just go there. Let's get to the conversation. So here it is, me and Ali It's so interesting because the first couple people that I've interviewed have been people that I've either met in my life or have had the pleasure of working with or they've taught me something. And I just find it so interesting because I feel that when our paths crossed, I initially was working for Barclays Center and Brooklyn Nets. At the time, and I'm actually curious to hear what your side of the story is, but from my end, it was, I was completely overwhelmed with the amount of work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't find a way to entertain in the way that I then saw you doing (laughs) the same exact job, but in a completely different way. And there's a million questions that I want to ask why you're able to do all those types of things. But I'm curious kind of to hear your side of the story and maybe let people know how we know each other. And then I'll I'll take it from there where like, we'll, we'll start with who you are and everything like that. Of course. So basically it started because I decided I wanted to host. I've been modeling for many years and I was dancing for many years and I just knew I wanted to have a voice. Like I, I knew I had an edge. I just didn't have a platform. Mm-hmm. So I created a reel, took some classes, sent it to everyone I knew. And then at the time you guys were making the transition where you expressed like, you know, I think I need to change a little bit in my life and they needed to fill that position before you had pretty much ready for that change. Mm-hmm. That's when they reached out to me just kind of through a contact at Barclay Center. It was a friend of mine who I've known for a long time. And it's so interesting because you talk about our paths. I remember there's one thing I remember about meeting you. I had to kind of, I think it was the first day actually, or either I was shadowing, shadowing you one of the games Mm -hmm. and I was standing behind you and you were just like you like turned around after you went on a few times on the court and turned around you're like don't worry you're gonna do better than me (laughs) and I was like (laughs) I was like uh I didn't know what to say I was like okay is that a compliment like I have no idea but I just remember you like turning around in the bomb you're like don't worry, you're, you'll do better than me. <laughs> I was like, okay. This is my self-deprecating, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but it was just interesting because it was, you were making a transition and obviously it was something which I found later after a few years of reflecting on that moment because it was very pivotal for me 
in starting something that basically has been a part of my life for five years. Has it been five years? It's been five years. Wow. Yeah. But one of the things that I noticed is that you were able to recognize, which I thought took a lot of fortitude and strength and courage. You were able to recognize when something wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if this was anyone else or, you know, even me at that time, and I was in your position, I'm not sure I would have had the strength or, or like, I guess just the information on how to operate within a space that made me feel uncomfortable, given that it was such a huge platform. And mm-hmm. so I, I really thought that was a great decision that you made, to be honest. And we never had this conversation, but that's how I viewed your decision and saying, hey, this isn't for me, no matter how big or, or, or small the opportunity is or what the upside is. I just know this isn't for me. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because I don't think, and you're right, we never really had a conversation about it. Part of my starting this project and, and again, transitioning into a different place is reconnecting with women because what I found in that industry, I, you know, I had been in sports since 2008. Mm-hmm. I felt so suffocated by testosterone. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I, I somewhat stripped myself of my femininity in order to fit in. But what I what ended up happening was I kind of pushed away women, mm-hmm. which in hindsight, it was detrimental not only to my career, but also to my well-being as a, as, a, as a woman. And I feel that these types of conversations are so important. What's interesting is as I was walking out, you were walking in. And I'm curious, I do remember saying that to you, but I'm curious, I hope it wasn't a, a deflated, you know, because I felt so broken at the time, which seems like yeah. a recurring theme in my life. But I, I hope it wasn't a deflating type of uh, message. I truly did mean for you that you would be great at this. And the proof is in the pudding as they say. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the role of the one that you're currently in with Barclays Center and the Brooklyn Nets, but also, I mean, your career has expanded in so many different ways. So I really want to get to that. But let's start from the beginning because I, I didn't know that you're from Miami. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your upbringing. What was your family situation like? Where in Miami were you from? And kind of walk me through a little bit. What was the life of Ali Love before you made the decision to move out to New York? I'm one of two children. I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister, just a few years, a couple years younger than I am. My father is German Irish. My mom is Black and Native American, so I'm biracial. I grew up where my mom extended family. My mom is one of 10 kids, so we had tons of cousins. My dad was a little smaller, only an aunt and a brother, so we only had one cousin on that side. I grew up in a family where, which is really interesting, where it was a lot about self. So most families grew up in like, oh, we're a family unit. It was more of like, you go out, you do your work and see kind of like how you can make it. My sister was the same way. My mom was the same way. And obviously you bring it back home, but it's more of like pursue your career or whatever you need to do. And the family will support that in each avenue. At the age of nine, I was hit by a car, broke my femur, almost died. This was an eye opener for a nine-year-old. I remember the day vividly, but it was an eye opener for me of how important it was to utilize my body in a sense of whether I wanted to run or move or anything. Shortly after I became a dancer, probably about nine months after I got hit by a car, I was in the hospital for a week, almost needed a blood transfusion. I became a dancer through a summer program. Mm -hmm. And I was just so grateful to live every day because most kids don't experience life or death. And I just remembered it being so vivid where my mom was sitting in the hospital bed next to me the day after it happened. And she said, she's like, baby girl, you can choose to live or you can choose to die. It's totally your choice. 
And I'm like, if I reflect on it now as an adult, I'm like, that was such an adult decision to give a kid, you know, instead of saying like, you can do this. It was like, no, you have to decide what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I guess my mom and I have already always established that relationship where she wasn't necessarily, it was never like a mother daughter, let me teach you. It was like a friendship of like, what do you think? And, you know, in the event, my mom is wrong. I tell her hundred percent disagree. Here's why. And I've been doing that since the age of nine, after we kind of built our relationship of like, yeah, I'm deciding to live. How do I do it? What's the next step? Mm-hmm. So after that, it's summer program started dancing audition for a high school in New York where they only, I mean, in Miami, sorry, where they only accept about 350 students in the country. And I got accepted. So I knew I wanted to pursue dancing. My freshman year of high school, I had another surgery because I had a pin in my hip holding my, my bones together. It had already healed. So I decided mm-hmm. to have another surgery to remove it because as an mm-hmm. adult, I didn't want any complications. So had a surgery, set out a year of my high school training with the dancing and then went back into it last three years of high school and then moved to New York decided I wanted to pursue dance my family said you have to go to college so I went to Fordham and Lincoln Center and studied at the Alvin Ailey program so I got a bachelor's in fine arts and in this time you know I have the very unfortunate experience of having those stereotypical body dysmorphia challenging issues to the point where a scholarship my freshman year was taken away to represent the school because I was too quote unquote like I wasn't streamline enough to represent the school Mm -hmm. which after getting out of a meeting I was like basically you just called me fat kind of thing so I want to I want to get into that because that's an interesting body image is a huge topic for untitled female I want to go back to this car accident yeah so as you said for your mom to to speak with you in that way to say this is your choice you Mm -hmm. can either live or die it's such a grown-up thing so I'm assuming that at, at age nine you matured very quickly so I wonder how, now looking back on it, if that hadn't happened, mm-hmm. what was the major shift that occurred in you that you saw a difference between you prior to the accident and you after? And what do you think would have happened to you if that if the car accident never occurred? So the major shift was obviously having to make this choice, not having the comfort of my family saying, oh, you're going to be fine. It's more of like, here's something you need to do after something has happened to you without you kind of deserving it. Mm -hmm. So something happened in life where I didn't, something undeserving happened where I didn't necessarily ask to be hit by a car or put myself in. I was doing everything right when I crossed the street. It was a freak accident, but I had to make the adult decision. I think the shift happened is once I got out of the hospital, I realized, okay, I actually have power over who I am. I have power on how to make people feel around me because when I was happy, my family was happy. When I was in a good mood or in like my extended family came around, they were in a good mood. When I was sad, they hurt. So it was an indication, a clear indication on how emotions worked in a group setting and how my emotions really, especially when they're displayed outwardly, how they affect my surroundings. So from there, it was a pivotal shift that I decided and something that has reigned true that I decided I was going to be positive. There's always going to be a bad situation, how you operate. And later in my adult life, I decided, oh, actually, I'm really good under pressure. Not because I am, but because I decide to be. Mm-hmm. I think that was like the pivotal shift. And when I came home from the hospital, seeing how I had to make a choice, how that that choice affected me leaving the hospital and then making a choice on how I was going to kind of wear my emotions in front of my family and how it affects my surroundings. You, you realize that even for an adult, this is an incredibly difficult uh, skill set yeah. to be able to look at a, an extremely negative situation and find a positive in it. How did you do that at nine? I don't think I had any options. Like I, I don't think, and that's kind of how I look at my life now is, and I guess I 
just kind of learned that is that there's a, you only have two options. It's always black or white. There can be some gray stuff in the middle that you can move around, but it's only to get to the two extremes, whether it's a yes or a no. Like there's that kind of I, that dichotomy that you live in, that spectrum that we all live in, mm-hmm. how we shift around is our, is our option. And I just knew that it was important for me to make sure my family didn't hurt anymore because I hurt. Like I knew how I felt. I knew when I was, I knew I was going to be fine. I wanted to be fine. So I just wanted to make sure that I was taking care of me so it didn't affect everyone else. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, and I guess back to your follow-up question of like, what if that didn't happen? I would never change that for the world. I don't even think... I never even thought of like, what if I never got hit by a car? Because I don't think I would be half the woman that I am today. I, don't, I think I would be eons behind the thought process, my business, the pursuit that I'm living in New York, having the strength, the ability, the courage, like recognizing my fear as vulnerability. I wouldn't be able to identify with any of those virtues if I didn't go through that life or death situation at mm-hmm. nine years old. Mm-hmm. And even if it would have happened later in life, I think it would have, one, inhibited me from growth a lot more growth at a younger age because I would have been older, you know, bouncing back would have been the relapse time would have taken way too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've honestly never thought of like, what if that didn't happen? It's literally the one red badge of courage that I'd say, I'd never give this up ever. You know, so for a lot of people, things that kind of break us down, oftentimes we try to hide them because they're perceived as flaws or scars, if you will. Mm-hmm. Instead, you've taken it on as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. That is who you are. That is what made you. I applaud you for that. I am, however, wondering, I too have dealt with issues in my life where they have completely broken me. And I wonder, would I be able to be the woman that I am today, mm-hmm. as you said, with that traumatic event in my life, right? Or a traumatic event in your life. So in processing all of this, do you have advice for young women who, for example, are lucky to not go through these types of traumatic events, but can't find that self-starter motivation, you know, whatever it is to be able to find the positive and the negative, to have that whatever it is that you possess to open up your eyes every morning and to, to see wonder in the world versus, and I'm sure you correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you have negative days as well. hundred <laughs> percent. Right. But how do you, you quickly get out of there, right? I'm, yeah. I'm assuming. So what would be some tools that you'd suggest? So one, the funny thing you said is I quickly get out of it. The first tool is that you don't quickly get out of anything. For all of us looking in, if we're looking at Instagram, we curate a life and you think that person may have a bad day, but the next day it's great. But in all honesty, I think you have to work through the process. The first tool is working through the process. And what that means is accepting where you are in that moment. So you you can have a thousand emotions in one day, maybe five, maybe five distinct emotions in one day. But allowing yourself to go through that transition will get you to the point of where you should be once you've healed, of once you're able to recognize it. The second thing I would say is not only accept where you are in the sense of like allowing yourself to go through that process, but the second thing is take note of how you feel and why you feel that way. Because when you're able to identify what triggers you, Mm-hmm. that's when you're able to control or not necessarily quote unquote control, but able to maneuver mm-hmm. and operate more efficiently. And I don't mean to, to like make us sound like machines, but it's when we don't recognize our behavior or don't take the time to recognize our behavior or our triggers that we end up in a place of like, how did I get here? Asking this mm-hmm. questions of how and why. So it's like, instead of asking the questions of how and why, take a step back, recognize why and how you feel that way in that moment. Is it something that triggers you? Is it going to this certain place? Is it a certain person? What is it when you feel down? Is it the same time? Usually there are patterns. We all, we're all habitual. We're human beings. We're habitual. Even in a new space, you adapt and you still become habitual in that new space until something breaks. 
And I think that recognizing what your habits are and what your cues are in the sense of what triggers those habits or those outcomes or those feelings will help you to maneuver problematic situations, help you maneuver heartbreak, help you maneuver insecurities, like lack of your place, your purpose, especially when it comes to careers. All of us are like, what the hell are we going to do next? Like, I'm good for nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like, when do you feel that way when you're around certain people, when the expectation is set by someone else, not yourself? It's just recognizing how you move and what makes you feel the way you feel in the moment or in that process, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in a not necessarily quote unquote positive place. Because I mean, I have those breakdowns all the time. I'm like, oh my God, my career sucks. Or no matter where you are, I realize no matter how much money you have, no matter where you are in your career, no matter how many kids or kids you do not have, how many places in the world you see, we will all have the same emotions at some point. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And I think, uh, you know, to your point, it's just this, it's constantly practicing self awareness. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. So you touched on a little bit once coming to New York, I've only spent in Miami, I've, I've been to a couple places in Miami, but not enough time to really get a feel for what that kind of upbringing must have been like for you. Like, was that difficult to leave Miami then tr- to transition to New York? Why New York? Like why? Yeah. You know, t- talk to me about that. So once I started dancing every summer, I would come with a program and stay in New York for six weeks. I've always been a fast paced person. I speak fast. I move fast. And my family is the opposite. Everyone's slow and they love the slow lifestyle. And Miami gives you that like warm feeling, relaxed on the beach. And I just always wanted something bigger, something greater. I wanted to see more. I wanted to experience more. And maybe it's, unfortunately, it could have been, which kind of to my demise, somewhat in my career and my personal life is this idea that I'm never satisfied, Mm -hmm. which could be labeled as ungrateful, which could be labeled as arrogant. But this, this insatiable feeling around wanting more, whether it's, you know, in my personal life or in my professional life has kind of was a catalyst to me moving full speed ahead. And it's actually in some aspects of, like I said, my life have been my detriment, but with the good and the bad, learning how to operate and manage it is really important. Miami's, yeah, super chill. When I go back, everyone moves slow. There's no rush. People drive crazy, which is great. The good thing and the bad thing about like moving to New York was, well, the good thing about Miami was it's always sunny. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I suffered from the sad disorder. So like the seasonal disorder that occurs mm-hmm. in the winter in New York. Mm-hmm. For years, every February, I would get anxious and sad. And I wanted to cry all the time. And I didn't realize it's because the sun in New York doesn't come out. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with all this sunlight, serotonin balance. And then you move to a new place. And while it's fast paced and freaking cold, I probably just got accustomed to the cold maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. I was really unhappy and I didn't, I couldn't recognize why the sun didn't come out at a certain part of the year. So now I've, I have a light in my apartment that I turn on in <laughs> January and February to help. Mm-hmm. Once you get to New York, I think the city in itself can eat you up alive if you're not equipped for it. Um, And oftentimes I feel that New York purposely puts you through that meat grinder to see, do you really want to be here? But on top of that, you know, as a young woman walking into such a difficult city, your body was immediately kind of picked apart, made to feel like you weren't good enough. And I know that in dance in particular, there is a lot of that body shaming. But what what did that do to your self-esteem and self-worth and body image? And how did you cope with that? Well, one, I definitely did what most dancers do. You take dieting pills. So I unfortunately went that route as well, where I took these really strong dieting pills and I actually lost weight, but it sucked all the life out of me. I would never talk. I didn't have energy to talk. I mean, I had this energy that was just like very flatlined and I didn't have an appetite. I had to force myself to eat. 
but I lost all the weight. And then I was being put in different, like, um, different choreography pieces. So I was getting rewarded for doing this really bad thing after they already told me that I was fat. So I started doing like the bad thing, which ended up getting me the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Once I stopped doing it, I realized that I allowed someone else or an institution or an idea to tell me who I should be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't easy coming to these terms. It wasn't like I all of a sudden had like this kind of revelation about it. It was a process of like, I can't, I knew this was wrong. My mom would be pleased. My friends wouldn't be pleased if I told them what I was doing. So why would I continue to do this thing? So I decided I wasn't going to do anymore. I wasn't going to self-medicate and take these dieting pills. And what ended up really happening was I met a a guy and not as a relationship, he became my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who I could, who wasn't a dancer because I was surrounded by all dancers and why I have really good friends in dance. It's hard to see the forest from the trees. Yeah. So, you know, when they feel bad about their body and I'm complaining about my body and if someone thinks your body's better than theirs, they're like, well, what are you complaining about? It's, it's like, you're basically going in circles. Yeah. I met a friend in New York City who wasn't a dancer and him and I spent a lot of time together. I ended up becoming a vegetarian because I watched the video, not because of him. We started cooking and he became a part of my uh, my group circle of friends and it was really helpful. And I remember after that, I used to pray all the time that God sent me more friends because I realized what and how important a friend friend could do and how important what they do for you mm-hmm. and how it can mm-hmm. affect you positively. Because what did he do for you? Well, he provided me... a to be myself. Mm-hmm. He was fine with who I was. We didn't talk about dance. It was one, we didn't talk about it because it wasn't his area of expertise. So it wasn't a point of conversation. So for better or for worse, it was actually a great thing. Mm-hmm. But we talk about interests like sports, like I've always loved sports and, you know, love going to the park and all these things in New York. And we did those things and not necessarily like him and I, but in a group of friends, it was easy for him to allow me to recognize like that other stuff is one part of you. You have so much more to you. Yeah. I would argue that it it's not so much him. It was your own insecurity within the the, the dance world, yeah. and all of a sudden finding whatever it was that initial core of who you are felt aligned with him, mm-hmm. and it gave you freedom to be yourself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think that's important to identify. It is important to identify people like that who, like you said, create that space because I, I'm sure you know the, t- the thing about body and especially in in what you're talking about is you're being rewarded for doing bad things Mm -hmm. and you're also competitive you're never satisfied Mm -hmm. so you want to be in a place that you know you're succeeding in order to succeed you have to have a certain type of body and it's very easy to to fall into that trap so potentially within that space there might have been people who were like hey Ali be you Mm -hmm. but you weren't ready yeah so and, and that's something that's it's so tough to identify. I'm not taking credit away from your friend at all. No, by no, no, I'm of sure course he's not. awesome. But more so, I just wanted to give credit to you because it sits somewhere inside of you. Yeah. It's just that moment of believing in yourself again, that you are worth just the way you are. You know, you are good just the way that you are. I think that exercise of, like you said, we're habitual, yeah. creating a new pattern of feeling like, hey, by the way, I like me the way that I am, you know? Yeah. And then, and so then once you kind of open your eyes into a different type of life, which probably aligns more to who you are anyways, how did you then shift 
in terms of dance because you still kept performing afterwards. So what ended up happening was I graduated college and I decided to give up concert dance. And it wasn't because even I had that experience when I was a freshman in college, by the time I was a senior in college, I actually worked with three companies. Like I had just being the body type that I was like giving up the diet pills and all that stuff. I ended up being able, fortunate enough to be one of a very few of my classmates to go and actually my senior year work and perform and semi tour with companies. Mm -hmm. So I had opportunity set, but what I recognized is that the industry was actually a lot more difficult and demanding than what they were compensating for. So I felt like dancers get kind of like the short end of this. They get the short end of the stick. You work all these hours. Rehearsals are eight hours a day, seven days a week or six days a week, even five days a week. And you get paid $1,200. And then when I recognized and I started getting out in the city, I'm like, $1,200 is a half day of a shoot for a model. And then I was like, how do I reconcile when a model just goes up and kind of poses for a photo and dancers are legit putting their bodies through hell. Right. And I get the satisfaction is performing, but is there another way to, to receive feeling of being a performer or receive the feeling of performing without paying all my time, all my energy, my family time, like my life for a little bit of money. End up like giving it up. My senior year, I made a decision. And I remember my dance history teacher in college, she said, one day you'll get to a point where you decide for the love of money or for the love of art. Although it doesn't sound right. I always say I chose the love of money, the livelihood, the actually the quality of life. And I think now that I look back, it was actually the right decision only because my time is worth more. And so are most of those dancers. Like it's not just me. Mm-hmm. I got a modeling agency right after college. I was fortunate enough to have got a modeling agency. And then I auditioned to be a Nick City dancer, which my concert dance, probably my concert dance um, world would frown upon. How come? Because when you do concert dance, uh, when you do kind of like NBA dance, it's aligned with semi cheerleading, semi dance team, whereas concert dance is different. It's more about the art and an exploration and it's really intelligent and it's visceral and it's supposed to be looked at as, as being separate. I knew there was one thing that I was going to miss. And that was performing in front of people. Mm-hmm. So to feed that beast to me, because I knew it'd make, I'd be unhappy. I decided to become a Nick City dancer. I auditioned for the team, made it the team. And I was a Nick City dancer for a couple of seasons. And then I pursued modeling and I was able to actually live a, out of college, support myself in New York City as a yeah. only person within my family living here, you know, independent woman. I was able to support myself. I was going on shoots. I was booking jobs. And then I was still performing and having that fulfillment. How do you, as a Nick City dancer, as you said, it, within the dancing community, it, it's separate, but also within, I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm condescending, but yeah. dance is an interesting thing because you, you are showing your body and it's, it's technically sexy. Go for it. Ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to properly phrase it, but how do you um, navigate? That's the word I'm looking for. How do you navigate within that space, knowing that not only is it men that are kind of looking at you, but all the time that you're there, you know, during practices, it's oftentimes when these NBA players are around. How do you shield yourself from potential eyes and sometimes more than an eye? Sometimes it's a number. Sometimes it's someone physically saying. Yeah. So how do you cope with that stuff? Well, one, I recognize it's no different than life. So whether it's in an arena where there's a little bit more consistent contact or your neighbor, where that also is consistent contact or just the workplace in a corporate setting, you're going to be subject to what you're going to be subject to. How you respond is the most important. And that was, that has always been what I hold true to is that how I handle myself is how I'm going to be treated. Mm -hmm. Even though I go up there and people say like, oh, use the word objectified. 
and you know this is mainly men i was like there's a lot of women in in the arena there are a lot of women that appreciate it and there there were you know i have friends even to this day i was like i remember you i used to sit at msg and watch you dance and like look you know it, it's and I was in awe. Young girls look at it and say, wow, this is amazing. So some people see it for the talent mm-hmm. and some people may see it as like, oh, she's a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. But the same thing goes or rings true when I go out to a club. Like when I go out and party, I'm always going to have, not saying that I'm always going to have men, but there yeah. will be people to quote unquote ob- objectify you or put you in that position to not recognize that you have a full education and a business. Like will not recognize your accolades, but more of your physical appearance. So I love, I love that you said that, that it's not so much what they're saying, it's your reaction to it, of right? Course. You know who you are, you, you have a foundation, but I'm wondering how, is it a conversation that needs to be had? And I don't know how this conversation would be had with men. Is it a conversation that needs to be had with some women who like don't react in the way that you do, where it's like, Hey, by the way, I'm a professional. This is a professional setting. I'm not interested in what you're offering versus some women bite on that. Is there a way to create a, a, a a space of respect. One of the one of my core founding principles is inclusivity. And to be pretty frank about that is just because I don't like someone hitting on me, there are other women that do. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. So the way I may go about starting a relationship, starting a friendship, starting a conversation may not come off with an explicitive or or something that's not necessarily explicit but may not be some of a compliment. It may start with like, hey, how you, what's your name? But how you operate and navigate your life and build relationships. And, and I'm going to bring up another point in a second, but how you like build, build those relationships or want to start those relationships, it's very subjective. So to take away and say, well, what they're doing, how do we have this conversation and say, it's I don't like it. I don't necessarily like it, but my response will always be, I will always like my response because I like me mm-hmm. and I have power over that. But somebody in my position who's hearing the exact same response may love it, may need it, which is an interesting point. It may build confidence. And I'm not making, I don't want to like paint a rose color photo out of something or picture out of something that's actually disgusting. But Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is sometimes you kind of see it maybe in movies. I don't know. Maybe I've seen it where a woman walks down the street and she's married or she has a partner or everything's going well with her career. And you hear the cat calls. And guys are like, wow, you're so hot, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, how disgusting. Like, why would your mom raise you like that? And then something's not right at her career. And like I said, this isn't justifying that it should go that way. But, you know, she's not feeling good about her body or like, you know, she's been working out or whatever the case may be. Like something has changed to the negative. And you hear a guy saying, wow, what up, sexy? Or like, wow, you look good. Hearing someone say a positive, even though it may not be coming in the correct term, could also change how you feel about yourself. You're like, I must be, I may not look that bad if someone said I look good today. You know, you might need to hear that even if it doesn't come from the best source. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like I said, coming back to that foundation of being inclusive, a bigger conversation to have is necessarily like, yeah, we could talk about how it should go about, but I can't say what may work for somebody. Like that catcall thing may build someone's confidence, change their lives. I don't know. For me, I may not need it because I might hear that all the time or because you may hear that all the time or because you have that confidence or you have friends to ground you and say that compliment isn't who you are. It's not true or whatever, you know. I understand what you're saying. I think it's a it's a tough line to walk. Yeah. At, at a certain point, I understand that for someone who is feeling less than in the moment, it's nice to hear a compliment. At the same time, what we would encourage is to have that foundation to source it from a good place. Right. Yes. But beyond that, I feel good. that I have seen 
in my in in the work that I've done that oftentimes you're in a position where you can't say something you you don't know if you can say something or can't say something mm. meaning when a man or a player says something to you or gives you a phone number through someone else and yeah and he's married mm -hmm. or he's engaged and you know this and you don't take it seriously you you don't react to it yeah but in a way though if we're not reacting to it are we then allowing them to continue the cycle so i understand this is this is probably a much bigger conversation yeah but it's something that i feel that a lot of women and not only in those spaces but in workspaces as well with sexual assault mm -hmm. how can you how can you say stop when you're fearful of losing your job or your reputation yeah good um, point mm -hmm. do you know what i mean 100 maybe this is a conversation that we have for another time <laughs> no yeah i'm but, thinking about it but it's something that is often on my mind because as i start started doing research for this project it felt that as much as women are trying to create a space for equal rights amongst men oftentimes they said that the roadblocks that they felt were other women oh yeah because there can only be one queen bee apparently like and so maybe you can talk a little bit about that as you have now cultivated this brand for yourself what have you encountered because right now we're we're in this age where people can create their own brand they have they can create their own name they can create their own industry and business as you started doing that for yourself what have you encountered in terms of other women who are who are trying to do the same thing so I was actually having this conversation this morning is like twice with two different people. I'm at the point where I never recognized when someone was doing the exact same thing because I was always in a group where everyone was doing the, the exact same thing. As a dancer, you go to rehearsal, you go to auditions, you know, we all go for the same jobs or to be in the same show. So it's always this idea of everyone's doing the exact same thing. When I started building a brand, and I was figuring out what I wanted to do, it was really important for me to know what other people were doing. And in that, it's not necessarily that I was copying them. It was like, oh, okay, here's what this person does. Like, can I do that? Like, kind of like not necessarily doing what they were doing, but asking myself those questions. Mm -hmm. Once I established what I, what I wanted to do and how to differentiate myself, I realized that people were actually not as creative <laughs> as I would imagine and would do the exact same thing. And be your friend and be like, oh, we're friends. And you're like, should we talk about the fact that you literally are dressing like me? You are doing the exact same thing, you know? These are people who are fans of yours or who are also creating brands? Who are creating brands, just like a network of people. Uh -huh. So lately I've been asking myself a question of, is it a compliment? Because they always say when people, you know, follow in your footsteps, not mine, just in general, the saying is like when someone copies you or follows in your footsteps, it's a compliment to what you're doing. But then I'm asking myself, is that the case or is it a lack of creativity and how as a person who is always trying to be proactive and positive in a negative situation, not just saying like everything will be fine, but like being proactive, how do I operate? And so what I'm trying to figure out, because it is actually a challenge for me, is to not necessarily talk about the, this kind of like, oh, we're doing the exact same thing because I don't ever want to create those that dynamic as a woman. I want them to feel empowered. But I've been going out of my way, even though it is in my mission, it is things I talk about on Instagram, it is who I am that going out of my way to empower these women, to let them know if there's something I can do to help you find what you're trying to do or figure it out, let me know. Use me as a resource. And I think that's a great way or has been a great way so far, even though I'm not sure it's going to work. I don't know. I'm, it's, I've never been in this space of like people quote unquote want to copy me or doing the exact same thing. It's relatively new. But like I said, the first thing, the first takeaway was like, let me be proactive. How can I be proactive? What's within who I am? And that is to empower. So let me lean on my natural talent, my my 
the literal reason why I'm here on earth and let me just resort result to that. And so I've been encouraging these people of like, hey, I can actually help you with whatever you're doing. I've already done it. So if there's any information I can offer because for free, for free. Because, you know, it has to be, if I truly believe it should be collaboration, not competition, yeah. then being a part of a journey shows collaboration. If I just leave or kind of exit the situation, it established competition. And we're going to compete against ourselves all the time. Why compete against the next woman when you're building a network of people that will eventually hold each other up? So I know these things, but it's hard to... Because you, you being in a city like that, and again, I think being a woman, we're taught to be competitive. And I still haven't really figured out why we compete with one another. Mm-hmm. But there's a really great quote that Gary Vaynerchuk says, and he's grown this insane media company. And he oftentimes just has people come in with ideas and new companies and businesses and kind of consults them for free Mm -hmm. because he says by spreading that what I know it not only lifts them up but once they become somebody they can help me Mm -hmm. and I and he's also learning by listening to their questions so I feel that what you're doing is actually very smart and ahead of the game there's nothing worse than a young entrepreneur who's trying to start a business to write you this long email and ask you for help and then you send them like well this is my price yeah it's just it's just deflating a hundred percent yeah and I and like like I said that's why I do love squad social like we do our speaker series we're having one at the end of the month where you come in for a workout because i truly believe you change your life through fitness but then we also have a speaker series where you hear a panel of women or men like right now our demographic is women mm-hmm. but our target demographic is every anybody but it's more about diversity but you hear a panel at, at this particular event of women talk about how can you how can you be encouraged in your career how can you move to the next step you know i'm realizing that it's not necessarily about me it's literally deflecting it all and making shining my light on everyone else, mm-hmm. which will ultimately get you to that place of creating that network mm-hmm. or get you to that place of sustainability within your career mm-hmm. because you're able to have that Rolodex of contacts and eventually along the way, or not eventually, but actually right now along the way, building those friendships of like, Hey, we've crossed paths five years ago and it wasn't the right timing. But, and like me noticing what you wrote on Instagram is like, I've followed you the whole time. Like I, I would never shy away and say, I don't know this person, this girl, this woman. And then when you wrote that on Instagram, I was like, 100%, like, great job. Mm -hmm. Because it's important for me to, if I stand for empowerment, if I stand for encouraging, uplifting, especially right now, like I said, my core is our women. If I stand for that in the most uncomfortable situation when someone's doing the exact same thing and there's this, there's that little ugly idea of competition arises, I need to be able to stand on my founding principles and still execute that even when it doesn't feel good. No, that's so refreshing to hear. Your mom should be very proud. (laughs) I'm sure she is, but it is so hopeful for me to hear that. I hope that more women feel the same way that you do. I think by what, by you speaking the way that you are and by putting your heart in empowering others this message will spread very quickly so i thank you for that but we didn't even we haven't even talked about like post new york knicks but i i want to because the fitness thing is a huge thing for you yeah also the idea of understanding nutrition understanding our bodies mm-hmm. so i i want to touch on that as well but first if you were to walk into a pitch meeting and pitching me on your brand can you tell me like what your brand is. So my brand is Love Squad. I started Love Squad as a website to get digestible, fun information out there around fitness, sport, and street style. It was a way for me as a host, especially as a host of Barclays Center and hosting other opportunities to create my own content. So I was perfecting a craft 
by writing. I was writing about things that I love and things that I did. I worked out all the time, especially as a dancer. From there, I realized that I had something because Adidas reached out and they saw Love Squad, my uh, lovesquad.com, my website was like, we love what you're writing about. We'd love for you to create content for us. I'm like, well, it's kind of a piece of crap, but I'll create some content, create a content from the, for them. And then from there, I continued to write. I built out a team where we have our man- content manager, we have our events manager, uh, coordinator, project manager. And what I wanted to do was make it more of a community and instead of making it viral, I wanted to reach out and touch. I wanted people to feel like they could come in, not only network, but to experience that sweat that I talk about because I feel like fitness has always been, has changed my life. Being hit by a car, losing, almost losing my ability to walk or run, being able to move, it is a privilege. So knowing that I always foundationally come back to sweating, we do a workout and then we either talk about each, like talk to each other, mingle, or there's a panel discussion. And so we partnered each month with New York Studios, bringing diverse group of people together. So also that was important for me. It's not going in saying you have to love green juice. You have to look a certain way. You have to have a six pack. It's all shapes and sizes, very diverse in culture and in race and coming in, working out together, doing your best. And then at the end, being able to network, meet a new person, meet a new friend, meet a new contact. From there, it evolved. And when I realized like people love that, it evolved into our speaker series where we have the panel, where it's something that you can take away, not just a good workout on the outside, but you can take away valuable tools and virtues that you can use in your personal life from the panel discussion. How do you multitask so well? Oh, yeah. Work-life balance, isn't that? like Or time mm-hmm. management is my biggest question. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe you can do it all. I think you just outsource it. So mm-hmm. sometimes outsourcing can have a monetary downside where you have to invest in it. But if the return is greater than the monetary output, then I think that's an upside. So personally, mm-hmm. I've been able to build a team, um, have an assistant. And this came from just me starting my own career and just like any small business you work endless hours like this morning I got up at 5 30 just to get ahead of because I, t- I took a vacation for about a week I got up mm-hmm. at 5 30 this morning yesterday morning to get ahead of the game I left my house for 8 a.m meeting and I literally am non-stop until 8 30 tonight I don't mm-hmm. complain about it I love what I do if I can affect more people with encouragement and positivity and somehow literally cheer them on be their biggest cheerleader in their career and in their personal life, I, I, I have all the energy in the world for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you feel that you might be a certain type of woman that not all women are, would be able to do as much as you can? So I gave this analogy when I was speaking at the Create and Cultivate, and I think it reigns true. It's not the rate of activity. It's the rate of production. Mm-hmm. And the rate of production will usually, in most cases, when you are pursuing what you're doing, will be the same. And here's how. As a woman who has more energy than the average person, I have to exhaust myself. So my days have to be jam-packed for me to tap into something that allows me to be creative, to become a problem solver, to recognize how to maneuver in uncomfortable situations. I actually have to get some of that energy out to find that place in myself. Whereas there are other women who need to slow down. Mm -hmm. It may take me a full day of activity to come to my final hour to recognize how to respond to an email that could change my life, how to react to a problem, such a personal situation that's a problem in my life, or how to maneuver the next step within my career. Mm -hmm. It can take another woman a full day of doing nothing to come to her hour of her most creative self, of being a problem solver, having the new idea that will change her life, creating, writing that email that same kind of concept. So the rate of activity, completely different. Rate of mm-hmm. production, 
usually about the same. So it's understanding which woman you are. 100%. And maybe you could be half and half. Right. How do you identify that? For example, if you are raised in a city like New York, New York City, like you might not necessarily be this proactive or high energy person, but the city forces you to be that. So you actually end up at exhaustion much quicker and therefore not as productive. I don't know the right language here because I don't know this theory that yeah, well. That's right. So how do you identify which woman you are? So I think it's going back to the beginning, my nine-year-old self of being able to recognize how you feel and how it like, oh no, you came, sorry, going back to that initial question of what, it, when people can't get out of the rut or they're having a hard time, like not being positive, what do you do? And I said, the second point was recognize, taking note of where you are and how you respond. So on a day that you're exhausted, take note of how you respond to yourself, how you respond to other people, how you feel, what's coming out of you, the quality of the work you're producing, and notice if that's actually something you're proud of. If it's not, then you realize you might have to slow it down a bit. Some people have to slow down and speed up. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. And so in the group of women, when they're saying this time, idea of time management, when people will say, oh, well, you know, you need to definitely take a day for yourself. That doesn't work for me. I don't want to be alone. I'm, I'm happy with myself. But being a day by myself, no, I need to be simulated for me to become creative. So it's like one of those things of finding that most creative point. So if you're creative, your creative point comes from silence, alone time, spa day. That's cool. But if your most creative point comes along from that stimulation, that's where I get it. Like information that's passing out, that passing around me, it works for me. So do you ever have quiet days by yourself alone? Not all the time. I am very rarely. On purpose? On purpose. I have quality time with friends is the most rejuvenating thing for me. I do have quiet evenings. That, you know, I'll be with my partner. Him and I will have food on the couch and watch TV. But I'm not just like relaxing in a spa or something. I, I love conversation. I love words. Like I, I love these things. Like I'll read, but when I used to write papers in college, I'd go to the cafeteria, put on my headphones with music and write a 10 page paper with all the activity around me. Wow. <laughs> and it's, it's, and, but it, you find what works for you. It doesn't mean that I'll be more successful than the average person. Yeah. It's just that I've actually tapped in and recognized that there's nothing wrong with me because mm -hmm. I would be looked at as the girl is like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so happy? Why is this fake? Why do you have all this energy? And it's like this judgmental thing of like, this can't be real. No, girl, I figured out what works for me. So what works for you works for you. Gets you to that point of getting an A in class, writing an amazing paper, having an awesome idea for your business, figuring out your trajectory within your career. It works for me going a little bit faster. I love that. That's that's really something interesting i you were you like this were you like this before like before the accident i don't remember but mm -hmm. i think i was more of a brat <laughs> i think i was more i mean i was always definitely an a-type personality when it came to school like i always wanted yeah. to do well but as far as like my character i i probably wasn't a really nice girl mm -hmm. i felt like when before i got hit by a car it to me like if i were to describe you it's like you love to live yeah you know and that's like that would be my tagline oh i like that Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> So I do have like a, a few more questions. Some of the ones that I ask at the end, I guess, I sent them to Faye, mm -hmm. who's been wonderful, by the way. Thanks. The two kind of ma mantras that I have for Untitled Female, um, one is speak your truth, and mm -hmm. the second is champion flaws. If you could start with speak your truth, and, and I always say to guests, like it, it can be anything that, that you want, but just something that you deeply believe in or something that you want to share about yourself. So whatever it would lift you up by speaking your truth. So in speaking my truth, I'd have to say 
that there's beauty in being real and not being perfect. There's beauty in being complex and not having it all figured out. And I think from the voice of the experience, from the voice of the hurt, from the voice of the changed person comes truth, comes reality, and comes great words of encouragement. I think that would be my truth. Yeah. And for champion flaws, the way that I look at that is when we put our flaws out into the open, those flaws lose power over us. So what would be some of your flaws that you would that you would proudly champion? Ooh, the proudest flaw that I have is that I am impatient. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the most impatient people. And what that means is that it could potentially stifle my growth. So moving without thinking, even though I'm the most thoughtful person I could be at this point in my life, sometimes, although I know that I should be, I know that I should allow myself to think at that moment or to observe or to receive what I'm experiencing, I push through. I go fast. I go on to the next thing because sometimes I think I'm fighting time in being impatient. So I think time, my concept of time could potentially be my champion's flaw because I'm impatient. How would you say that that would be a positive attribute, that flaw? Because I'm able to release all of the, or like move on. I can move on quickly. I don't have to, I don't sulk. I don't, I don't dwell in something that doesn't feel comfortable. I definitely, in, in a point of uncomfort or discomfort, I recognize why, how I feel that way, go into my toolbox, realize and, and, and kind of like, I guess, turn that switch on of what I do best, lean on my, my natural abilities, go from there, And then I can shift pretty quickly out of that. So that the idea or the concept of being impatient really works well there. However, in certain aspects of life, it doesn't always. It's a two-edged sword at some point. As as most flaws are. And that's why by creating awareness, we can actually create a positive out of them. But you know what's really interesting is that I gave up the idea of trying to be patient. And I know for now... Um, because I was stressing so much of like, I should be patient. Something's wrong with me. If I'm saying I'm this type of person and like, I'm doing these things, I should be more patient. And then I was like, you know what? I'm putting too much pressure on myself. Here's who I am. Recognize who I am. And I'm going to go through the process. And maybe in a few years, I'll revisit why and what and who I want to be. But at this point, I am impatient. I have a thing where it's like a toolkit. Mm-hmm. You, you talked a little bit about that. Like, I, I feel like I could put something together from that. Do you want to add something to what your toolkit would be for any young woman who's listening to this? And I was going to say maybe in a way too of like, do something today, you know, based on your skill set, what could you advise to young women that they could take off their headphones after this and go do this now to better their life? 100%. Here's something that I noticed that reigns true with any person and also in my life. If you're thinking about doing something, take a class, take a seminar, listen to a podcast about it, read a book. Having information to make a decision goes a long way than just contemplating, should, would I be right for this? Is this the right decision for me? Learn from someone else. You don't need to recreate the will in your own life. Figure out if that's what you want to do by gaining information, perspective, and knowledge about that thing. So that's the one thing when you can put these headphones away is say, hey, I've been thinking about pursuing this. Take a class, seminar, listen to, get a book, talk to someone who does it, and go from there. I love that. And finally, I always ask people, Alianka, you should be asking this. What am I missing? Alianka, you should be asking how people are changing the world by just being them. And how are you doing that? By being positive. Mm -hmm. I realize at nine years old, to bring it full circle, how I feel and my emotions affect my surroundings, affect the people that I encounter. 
So if that means just making somebody smile, even if they're questioning how much energy I have, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter. I've affected someone in, in and a part of the world. So that's how I changed the world. This has been amazing. We'll have to do this again. Yeah. Because I, I have so many more questions that we're, we could take this. And I feel like you are just this like well of answers <laughs> and tips. And I might need to hire you as like a therapist at some point. Yeah. Anytime you want to talk. I mean, I'm not necessarily a therapist, but is there any way I can support? I'm a total fan of yours in the sense of like, Thank I watch what you've done over the years and I don't necessarily know you personally, but... I've always been like, I, I like who you are. Like, even if it wasn't someone you were happy with at that time, I still liked you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, we're always at our core. We know who we are. It's mm -hmm. just things that come in our way that kind of chip away at that. But yeah. um, I appreciate you saying that. I'll let you get on with your busy day. I'm sure you have a lot more to do. Um, thank you so much. This of was course. amazing. And we'll be in touch. Yeah, let me know if you need anything else. And we'll be in okay. touch. Thank you. Thank Ali. you. Thanks, Ali. Okay. So there you have it. Okay, so before I forget, because there are so many ways in which you can find and follow Ali, one of course is her Instagram at Ali Miss Love, A L L Y M I S S L O V E. And really, it's just a personal diary of all the things that she does and all the people that she meets and connects with and helps. And then just kind of these like daily affirmations of positivity, which I always find inspiring. You can also see her as the Brooklyn Nets host in game. So go check out a game at the Barclays Center. The other thing is you can log on to her website, www.alovesquad.com, A-L-O-V-E-S-Q-U-A-D.com, where you'll see articles and tips and tools, but you also, you'll find information on how to get to her speaker series, which I encourage everyone to do if you're in the New York City area, which I'm sure she's going to expand. As it pertains to us, if you love this conversation and if you love this podcast, please, please, please share it. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else that the RSS feeds shoot out into the airwaves. I know that on the iTunes store, you can review and you can comment and you can also add those stars. If you could do that for me, I would so appreciate that. If you find quotes in here that have inspired you, please share them and just tag us along the way. Show some love. It would be so much appreciated. If you want more on Ali and this particular conversation, the cheat sheet that I mentioned, then log on to theuntitledfemalproject.com. Click on the Tell Your Story tab, which is the podcast tab. Look for Ali, and then you'll see all of that information. And of course, if you're trying to reach me and you have suggestions, comments, likes, dislikes, hearts, feels, I think it's a thing that people say feels now and woke maybe. Um, if you have any Anything that you want to send my way, just email me uf at theuntitledfemaleproject.com and I'll make sure to answer back suggestions on future guests, what you'd like to hear, what I'm doing right or wrong, all of it is welcome. I hope you all have a beautiful, beautiful week and I'll see you next time.